0: Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the PD Performance Podcast. This week's podcast is a conversation with Greg Hall, who is a physiotherapist out in Singapore and a co-host of the Metrics Physio Podcast. Myself and Greg used to be co-workers, so we had a great conversation about all things physio and performance related including where the line between physio and strength and conditioning coach stops or doesn't stop at the moment. So we had a deep dive into rehabilitation and performance training. We also talked about the use of language in the rehabilitation process and the use of metrics to get the best out of the rehabilitation process as well. We had time to touch on the NRL and the Lions Tour with a couple of hot takes there for your enjoyment. So loads in this episode, really, really enjoyed making this episode for you guys, so hopefully you enjoy it as well, and if you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it, and send it. How are you getting on? Good, good to see you. You have the PD Performance hat on, as you said, and I'm not wearing a hat today. I should have had my backwards hat on, just so little Billy Madison.
1: How do you keep keep that head warm in the cold Irish weather, although it is somewhere there at the moment?
0: Yeah, it's summer, but it was lashing rain um all on Sunday. But it's been good. Like it's 18 today, which I know so when you're in Singapore sounds like really cold, but like 18 is like grand here. But you're you're doing good, yeah?
1: Yeah, all good, all good. I'm on the I'm on the wind down now. So I'll be back to join you in in six weeks. So finished up with college for the year. Kind of starting to tell a lot of my patients and athletes that I'll be moving on, trying to make plans for those guys and yeah, trying to enjoy the last the last six weeks here. So trying to be as social as possible and get out and do all the stuff that I haven't done in four years already, leaving it to the last four weeks. Thankfully, there's looking like we'll be a little bit freer here from the end of July. So I might get, you know, one or two going away parties in with a few lads as well, which would be, which would be good fun. But looking forward to getting home to Ireland now, to be honest, and getting the, the tail end of a summer. Hopefully it's some good weather and, you know, some long evenings and a little bit of golf few beer gardens and a bit of exploring down the country as well before we get to the bleak midwinter because I tell you I'm not looking forward to
0: darkness, wet, windy, cold mornings and evenings really. Is this an exclusive? Is this, this hasn't been disclosed on the Metrics Physio podcast though has it? No, no as in this, me coming back. Yeah, this is the big news now that everybody <laughs> was looking big, forward to. Greg Hall is back in <laughs> town everybody, back to Dublin. Big reveal, yeah, yeah. So do you reveal, plans? I don't have any
1: plans. I don't. I don't have much to tell you on the, the job front, other than Mary got has a has a new job, which we're delighted about. I've done a I've done a couple of interviews and a few bits like that. Nothing, nothing set in stone yet. But I'm lucky that I'm in a position where I can probably, you know, go back and and get under the the parent roof and take my time and find the right thing rather than be rushing back into uh you know the first thing that comes my way. So definitely want to do something in in the sporting world if that's possible, and then I just you know, I'd love to be conscious of having a job that offered me a small bit of flexibility just with the master's work as well, so that I'm not, you know, having no time between juggling either playing sport, being involved in sport, trying to do the college work and then full-time work. But no, just looking forward to getting back and taking a few weeks off and getting the feet on the ground and, you know, getting settled in again, really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that the standard of care that you give is so good that you won't struggle to get anything whether it's in elite sport, whether it's in semi-professional sport, whether it's in general population clients, like I'm sure you'll get something pretty handy, but it is. Yeah, you're dead right. Like, don't just jump at the first thing that comes your way. You'll get a good offer eventually. Um, it, I don't think it's going to take you long anyway, given the standard of physio that you are, but th- it's good to touch on. You do generally kind of see a large variance in your clients that come in so like you you have dealt with elite sports people and then you deal with Sally who is working at a desk nine to five five days a week and she just has a little bit of back pain that has to be dealt with I would assume that business is absolutely booming at the moment in Singapore given that you're leaving now as well people are probably trying to get in to see you while they can how do you manage seeing that big variance in the types of client that you deal with and Do you have to kind of adapt your your model of physiotherapy to the client um, majorly or is it kind of pretty similar for most of them?
1: Yeah, it's not. It's not too dissimilar, to be honest. I mean, you're probably the same in terms of working with athletes with no training age to inexperienced athletes. Right. You're going to have various progressions, various scaled regressions. So it's about looking at what is important to them and looking at what their strength and their weaknesses are, and then appropriately providing them with, you know, whatever exercise, whether it's exercise-based, whether it's education-based, whether it's manual therapy-based, finding the right fit. But, you know, one of the positives of working in private practice is that variance, because it keeps your job interesting, right? And I'm sure, even if you ask a physio who works in a lead, I'm sure they say there's days when you know they wish they didn't have the demands of working in that environment or an athlete where all they're all consumed by the sport and performance. So having having that variance is really, really interesting. You know, it keeps you on your toes. Like I was saying there, having an athlete who's at the tail end of their rehab versus having an athlete who just out of an operation, you know, having an under 18 athlete or a youth athlete, and then having, like you said, a gen pop, someone with low back pain doesn't participate in any sport you know it, it keeps your your skill set in a variety of different areas up to scratch because you're you're having that exposure it's always interesting having a new case coming in the door because you don't know what you're going to guess I always find it fun to try and guess but yeah I think ultimately what I try and do with people is very similar you know it's, it's it has to be goal oriented and patient centered but ultimately for me being a very exercise based clinician it's about Getting them exercising, whether that's for the first time or whether that's, you know, they've got ten years under their belt, it's it's challenging them appropriately. And as we've we've had uh, head-on arguments before over things like snap downs and stuff. Everything has everything has its place, but you know that could be going from a glute bridge to uh, a hip thrust with hundred kilos. Like you know, it's the same exercise, right? But yeah. di- different content. So, yeah, probably a long-winded answer to do I do things differently? Probably not. It's just about challenging that person appropriately. But, you know, if we look from the bottom up, I want to have good capacity and endurance in that foot and ankle complex, good level of single leg stability. They need to have sufficient quad and hamstring strength, good posterior chain and lumbo-pelvic control, abdominal midline section control, and then, you know, upper limb reactivity, strength, all those different things. The only probably difference is if it's a gen pop person who's not really participating in sport, you might need to look at the bigger picture. You might just need to think about the specific injury part, the root cause of that and getting them back to their day to day. I obviously wouldn't be looking at, you know, let's say a 50 woman who has shoulder issues. I wouldn't necessarily be looking at her, her Achilles, but you know, if I've got a 25 year old rugby player, there's so much that I can work on concurrently while rehabbing their shoulder in order to, you know, maintain fitness and sure they don't, you know, lose any, robustness in their lower limbs or lose any general fitness you know w- one thing that i would note though is is probably the, the difference over here is culturally it's very different you have experienced what we would term you know sport it's, it's not played to the same level in singapore as it's played to i'm sure in australia or ireland or europe or the states so you know when we talk about athletes the level of athlete here is probably less and when i first got into sport and private practice here i was probably shocked at how low people's training ages, their coordination, their movement patterns, their strength is low. And that probably comes back to schools, just not playing sports or or people in Singapore don't play, whether that's, you know, the weather, very education focused here, more more technology-based. You know, I couldn't put my finger on it, but culturally it's very different to Ireland where generally people are fitter, have been playing sport, their movement is good
0: and have some idea about exercise really. They can't blame the weather though can they if we're the, if we're fair and we're dealing with what we're doing with, well. but it's interesting what you said they, there. they do though yeah they do i know but it's an easy out but it's interesting like you're looking for the same things um in terms of what you said about foot ankle complex quad hamstring upper limb but how you get there you don't really mind and it's that's what's going to vary based on the clientele and you can push those athletes a little bit harder and what you said as well about challenging them, but it also challenges us as kind of practitioners as well, or coaches in terms of having that variance in the type of people that come in. Like it's, it keeps it interesting, as you said, but if you're dealing with athletes all the time and you're push, 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 I know I always talk about what uh, Tom said to me in the first month. He's like, not everybody's a rugby player for you. Like you can't just lambaste them and throw volume at them. But it challenges us and keeps us interested in that if a general population client comes in who is a little bit, I'll use the term lightly soft, that's not going to work with them. You have to show that empathy and you have to kind of coax them around to get in there. And I was laughing as well at how far we got before snapdowns were brought out. But uh, as, as, a, as a contextual kind of, um, not a disagreement even, I think. Sometimes when I throw the memes up just to try and get a little bit of traction on them, some of the physios can get butthurt, can't they, Greg? No, I'm messing. <laughs> but you know, and from my explanation that I gave you, that there is a, a, a place for all of that for, for every tool. Like it's the right exercise at the right time for the right client. It's just that when you see uh, who got injured recently, an ACL in the NBA, it was one of the point guards and everybody was saying, if he did more snap downs, that wouldn't have happened. And I think at that high level of athleticism, a snapdown isn't going to make that much difference to whether you get injured or not, because we can't predict injury. But there is a basis in it in terms of, as I said, if I was with a youth athlete and I was teaching landing mechanics, like you said yourself, then they'd be useful. As well as that, if somebody's coming back and on the rehab kind of performance spectrum, they're... In the early kind of stages of that spectrum, then it may be useful in terms of loading, but it's just very, very extensive. So if we're trying to develop athleticism, and I I understand that that's a very broad term, I wouldn't say that necessarily that is the best tool to do so. But again, we're going through the weeds here and it's just one exercise that I was kind of taking the piss out of. So I apologize. I apologize, Greg.
1: (laughs) Also, you know just poking the bear here behind you yeah. yeah essentially like if i if i give somebody a snap down and they can do it perfectly for five reps i'm not going to waste any time and make them do loads more i'm going to think right how am i going to make this progressively harder am i going to give them a single leg jump am i going to give them uh you know a single leg hop down off a box or whatever it might be and it's the same for anything like early post-op i've been doing a lot of kind of like duck walks trying to build that foot and ankle complex early doors but again if it's not problematic make it more make it more challenging so it's it's just principles of rehab really right
0: yeah exactly and that's sometimes where the physio and snc kind of not even clash but that's when the worlds kind of clash in that some physios but these are big generalizations as I know like and you know that I'm generalizing just for the use of the conversation but some physios can be very kind of protective and I know that you're um, exercise based and you're trying to push the threshold all the time and improve in terms of the loading and increase the loading but some especially in Ireland in the past I found some of them are kind of restrictive in terms of oh don't do that don't do that don't do that just do this and then on the opposite side of that some strength and conditioning coaches are just like loaded up hang cleans snatches let's go like you know and it's like well come on we need to find some sort of middle ground here and that's why it's good I suppose to work in the setting that you work in as well because you're surrounded by strength and conditioning coaches and physios so then you can kind of bounce off each other and you can collaborate to get the best outcome for that given participant or athlete. 100 percent 100 percent and like i hate that in rehab saying you, you can't do this
1: because already you're putting a negative connotation on physiotherapy mm-hmm. and you know there definitely shouldn't be a finite end to physio and a start to SSC they definitely need should and need to happen concurrently right and that yeah like we said that's a really good thing about our environment here now and i'm sure that's the same in, in multiple different elite sports where you know you're doing rehab but that doesn't mean that you can't train and do a million other things at the same time and i think that's one way that physio definitely needs to evolve and and we can learn so much from s and and you know you guys can learn a lot from us in terms of improving our knowledge in both areas for maybe you guys learning about you know early rehab progressions and maybe i suppose you, you probably know about tissue healing what it might be part of your you know your core competencies in college but again from us learning a lot more about strength and conditioning principles is, is huge and i think that's got to be will be an area that is starting to come into physiotherapy degrees a lot more, maybe even being a full module because, you know, it's super, super important. And if we don't have that, we're only essentially putting out fires. We're never really rehabbing somebody back to whatever their performance is. We're just going, Oh yeah, you you know, you can't do that now, love. Um, So just sit at home there for six weeks, you know, lose your cardio respiratory fitness, let your quads go to shit you know, maybe lose your balance. You might be a fall. That's the technical term. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and then and then say, oh yeah, but look, your uh, your knee pain is gone. So crack on again now, you know, discharge. Mm, and yeah. then, you know, a, a poor 50, 60 year old woman is now, you know, got no strength to go upstairs. She can't walk the 2K to the shop again or go out with her friends, whatever it is. And we've done an injustice to them because we're very, very narrow minded and focused mm. on, what is this specific problem I need to treat this rather than, yes, we can treat the problem, but there's, you know, a load of other stuff that you can do and we're not looking at the athlete in it or the athlete or patient in a holistic way. Right.
0: Yeah. And there's only so much you can learn, as you said, but I do think I agree with you in in terms of both professions need to have an understanding of the other's kind of speciality so Henry said to me before it's like you have to be a generalist who specializes in something so in terms you're yeah. you're learning the strength and conditioning world and the mid to late and the performance-based stuff and that's going to help with your practice and equally we have to learn that early stage stuff and like the one thing that we probably don't need to know what it's useful to know anyway is the injury kind of diagnostics like, and, but still like, I actually had a meme that I didn't throw up because I felt I was putting up too much physio based stuff, but it was like, when you, when you as an SNC are on pitch and the physio isn't there and somebody gets injured and you kind of, you're looking to see and it's like, Oh, I think it's this, I think it's this. And then the physio comes back the next night at training and they're like, Oh, it's this and you get it right. You're like, turn around and you give yourself a little yes yes i got it right like because for us like you're you're extremely confident in it and i suppose to an extent a lot of it is coaching and um physiotherapy is educated guesswork <laughs> um like so when we're we're our guesswork is a little bit more of a shot we, pr- we prefer to call it
1: we prefer to call it clinical reasoning piece. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah but it is though at the end of the day like because you do as we said when somebody comes in and they're not responding to what you're throwing at them they're like you have to be able and ready to throw that out the window and try something else yeah until something works <laughs> and that <laughs> sounds like that's all we do but it's in terms of we'd be a little bit more confident of that after we have a little bit more experience and once we have the theory down as well but it is the merging of both elements together but yeah that is definitely that's something that's missing as well is the the physios sometimes get them to the mid stage or the mid to late stage and then they don't want to keep paying money to go to the physio so they just say oh I'm I'm paying free now so I must be fine and then they miss the whole mid to late and late stage of their rehab kind of process to get back to performance because we don't want to just get them back where they were beforehand before the injury because that's when they got injured we want to get them to a stage where they're actually better than what they are uh, what they were when they got injured and that's kind of that overreaching stage in the late stage of the of the rehab kind of spectrum uh, performance spectrum but that's why I think that physios and s cs should always kind of work together or at least have somebody that you recommend um, people to go and see and that you have an open dialogue with so that you can say well look Johnny was here when he saw me on Monday so maybe don't do this with him but do you know what he was actually better in this in this kind of area so you could probably go ahead and load up there and I think that's better for everybody involved it's better for the both practitioners the strength and conditioning coach and the physio and it's better for the athlete or the what would you what would you, your term be the client or the doesn't matter Listen. really it person yeah person is the best yeah. way to put it what do you think yeah 100 yeah, percent. look i think it's probably an area where where ireland
1: is is improving but we still probably lag behind is is just the perception of what what physio and snc is and you know i think s and is definitely termed as more of a sports-related thing. And then you've got personal training, on the other hand, where people would say, oh, it's more about aesthetics, right? Yeah. That kind of stuff. But if you look at what most physio practices are in Ireland these days, they don't have gyms. They've got a stack of dumbbells that go from one kilo to five kilos, right? They've got a gym ball and a yoga mat and you know potentially a cable resistance or something band, resistance bands, a cable yeah. something like that right you're never even going to get near performance in that environment right so that's all well and good if that's what you have to work with but then you need a peter or someone that you say right you are now pain free i'm referring you to an snc coach and they're going to work on your run mechanics your sprint technique your plyometric mm. and this and that because i don't have the facilities here and you know, or the time best prepare you or the time or the time, but, you know, it's then getting that, that complete rehab, as you said, right. You're not just leaving them in the dark and going great nip back to rugby there. And all the person's done is body weight, heel raises and, you know, soft tissue work in their calf and they're you're going to go and them to play an 80 minute game and sprint 70 meters down the pitch. Like if that's a calf injury, they're not going to have, they're not, they're not going to perform, but, you know, to go back to your point there about what, what Henry said, I think, you know, David Epstein has a good book called Range, right? Where he says mm-hmm. the future is all about that generalization. And I think the generalists will tend to prevail in the future. But what your primary qualification is is still hugely important, right? You need yeah. to stay in your lane. And, and from a physio perspective, we always talk about liability. And when I talk to s coaches, I would always say, be very, very careful about telling yeah. somebody what you think it is, because they can always come back for you if you give somebody advice or you give them yes. an impression on something and you are wrong. For us as physios, we all have personal indemnity insurance and we have a qualification that allows us to do that. So, you know, it's definitely being, you know, referring to an appropriate person who can manage those. And that's probably the one thing that SNC coaches don't have. I know that's probably a little bit serious for your podcast Pete. but no, no, you know, no, any, Jeez, I love it. Any, for any S&C coaches who, who are, you know, find themselves in that position, I definitely would be saying, look, you know, go and see a physio for one session. If you don't think it's too serious, let them give you a diagnosis and come back and work, work exactly. with me. But I have a friend in Ireland at the moment who did his, who did his back in deadlifting and he was working with a personal trainer and the personal trainer said, right, look, here's a few things that, you know, you can do to help with your back pain. Mm-hmm. And he then rings me up like three weeks later and says, like, my, my back is is no better. This isn't helping. Yeah. And I said, look, nothing against this trainer. I'm sure he's a brilliant trainer, but he's not qualified to treat acute low back pain. And he probably has no idea what's going on in the back. Yeah. So he should not be giving advice to somebody about Absolutely. how to manage their back pain. And, you know, people probably shouldn't be taking that, but some people don't know better. They're going to do whatever they, whatever, yeah. you know, whatever they think is best for them. And if they build a good relationship with their trainer, they're going to say, Yeah, I'll give it a go. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the right thing. So, you know staying in your lane but having a team yeah. around you that you know you can manage athletes people patients whatever you want to call them holistically I think is is the way forward
0: I was going to make a joke initially when you started saying like um that you said having uh okay now you can go see Peter and then I was going to say yeah and then they come see me and then they work with me for a while then they get injured and I send them back to Greg <laughs> um, but that is it business works business works both ways right but it's the same thing though and I think that That is people being afraid of losing income and they have kind of a scarcity mindset. So they think that if somebody got injured doing work with them, they're afraid to kind of send them to a physio because they're not confident in their own kind of business that those uh, people that they're sending to physio will eventually come back. So then they try and throw things at them. So, oh, no, 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 we don't need to stop your sessions. We'll we'll just keep going. We'll just keep going. Wait, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. And then they try and throw a terrible diagnosis at them. And that's what I was saying in terms of that's kind of where we need to stay away from. Well, not stay away from as strength and conditioning coaches. I think we should still understand it. But as I said, in the kind of analogy that I used, wait till the physio comes back the next day before you give a definitive answer as to what that is and try and give them their early stage rehab because that's not your job you're you're more towards the performance side of things so exactly and you don't want to tarnish your reputation by you know doing doing it
1: doing a disservice to somebody but that allows you to create really good relationships with a physio who's in your who's in your locality right yeah you build a good working relationship and you know they're always going to go hand in hand And like you said about injuries, we can't, we can do our best to prevent injuries, right? But if we look Mm. at research, let's take past 20 years, we put millions of dollars into researching low back pain, ACL injuries, you know, pick one, right? They're all becoming more prevalent. So either we're doing something wrong or the level of sport and everything's going higher, people are exercising more, but generally can we predict exercises? Potentially, can we prevent them? evidently it doesn't look like we're doing a, a great job right so injuries are part and parcel of life and if we fear injuries we're afraid to own up to them you know then probably we're, you know you're not in the right profession because they're
0: going to happen absolutely that was something that i learned the hard way um, given my own kind of injury history was i thought that all my injuries that were occurring beforehand they had been chronic so i thought i was like, oh, i'm definitely not strong enough or i'm not fast enough or i'm not this and that and i need to do more and more of this and that and then when I did had my uh my ACL rupture and my complete uh, reconstruction that was completely unpreventable because it was too absolute monsters of forwards one hitting me up top and one hitting me on the knee in opposite directions (laughs) so I'd have to be pretty strong with my leg my foot planted in the floor I think I would have had to be made of titanium for nothing to occur there and so like those kind of things are just going to happen as you said do you know what I think we can probably reduce the risk of running into chronic issues that's probably all we can do realistically and then the acute stuff there are definitely things that we can do to reduce the risk of them occurring, whether it's a soft tissue injury, definitely in terms of looking at load and volume and, and running volume. If we're just looking at athletes or, or depending on the sport, like just in terms of stress or the person in terms of performance, yeah. if it's just a general population person, ask them how they are when they come into it. If they had a stressful day at work or a stressful week, have the kids had them up all night? Then maybe don't throw a load of volume at them um, because it's not, prob- not going to be the best time to do it. Just get them to do some aerobic stuff, which me and Will were talking about last week. It's gas that the aerobic stuff has been demonized. And going back to the perception of strength and conditioning coaches in Ireland as a country, I think it's the profession's own fault that we're perceived that way. Because Jenny comes in and says, oh, he's a strength and conditioning coach. I just want to lose a bit of weight and then it's like oh well before we do that we're going to get you to do put this foam roller in between your legs and put your foot up on here and then put one hand over here and we're going to correct all these things and the lowest hanging fruit for a lot of those people is just some simple stuff some simple progressions like exercise variations and a little bit of aerobic work so just do it with them it doesn't have to be overly complex don't Neglect it just because you think it doesn't challenge you as a coach. Because, as we said earlier, the right exercise is the right one for the right person at the right time. So, I'm not blaming all strength conditioning coaches there as well. I know I'm having a go, but like, yeah, I think we could do a lot better as a profession in terms of even if you're performance based, performance based doesn't mean complicated. And you can work with athletes and you can work with general population um, clients concurrently as you said and I think that's something that we can definitely learn from the physio kind of profession we we kind of like it there's definitely a bigger thing in strength and conditioning in terms of ego and than there is in the physio profession I would say and I know that's another generalization but physios generally all get on with each other I would say whereas in strength and conditioning like coaches just hate each other I'm better than him well no you're not you might be better for a certain client but a different client might not work well with you at all they might have to go to somebody like him and they'd do well with him you know and it, there's plenty there's plenty of business out there how many people are there in the country four and a half million in ireland like and I tell you. not that everybody needs strength and conditioning but they definitely would benefit from somebody helping them and assisting them through the process of getting healthy and improving their performance sorry for the record
1: without without stereotyping uh s and c coaches a lot of physios don't tend to be you know big burly men with shaved heads and 20 years of training experience behind them so um you know that probably helps when it comes to the egos and less of the of the head crashing but look i think what what the the biggest downfall of probably s and c and training more so than physio but it's definitely creeping into physio is the emergence of social media is just making it more viewable and you know people are now you know so conscious of what you're putting out there what what am i doing compared to them what are what's the progress of, of my clients like i need to share good stuff and you know you know from working with a client you're not going to see progress in the first 3 months so you know wh- what are you going to put up when you start building a client base and it's like well i've got nothing to put up for the first 3 months uh, i'll put up videos of of myself training, or I'll try and demonize somebody else, or you know, <laughs> X,
0: X, 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 Y, and Z, whatever it might be. But and tag them in it, tag them in it just so they know that you're going after them. Yeah, exactly. Tag them in it, put it on
1: Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, yeah. put it up everywhere. But yeah. you know, I'm sure that's the age we've grown up in. If you asked a, an SSC coach who's been working since the 80s, the is when people didn't know what SSC was. I'd say times were a lot simpler, and same in physio, it was probably a lot simpler because you did what you thought was right. You didn't have ex- any external pressures. You didn't have anybody criticising you, and your clients weren't looking at a million and one other things on the internet, going, "Why am I doing this? Or why am I doing this? Yeah, you know, should I be doing this?" But look, you could spend it. You could spend a day talking about about the pitfalls of uh, of social media, but I think our our time could be better better spent talking about. Things like
0: Snapdowns and uh, (laughs) Smackdowns. Smackdowns. Smackdown versus Raw. Just when you're talking about the social media as well, I saw one note that you you wrote into the kind of the pre-podcast document, uh, the knees over toes, which you're experimenting with. And I just get sent his stuff so regularly by clients that kind of, but you know what? Like he is the best marketer I've ever seen in my life. And he's so well-spoken about it. And I know when I'm listening to him, I'm like, well, hang on now, there's a little bit of flaw, of a flaw in the way you're thinking about things there. But some of the stuff that he uses is useful and some of the stuff probably isn't as useful. And that's kind of the way you've got to treat everything on social media. You've got to take it with a pinch of salt. And also, I think if you look at anybody that's grown their following to that kind of level, whether in strength conditioning or elsewhere, they all kind of find out what works for them and they go down a rabbit hole in terms of that because they're trying to monetize it so if yeah. you look at him what's he selling now probably straps for nordic curls which he's doing in an anterior pelvic tilt anyway um <laughs> so like i'm like what are you doing mate um and it's not the be short, all and end short all. shorts or something yeah, like that yeah, there. yeah exactly uh i'd say he's probably a decent bloke though so i don't want to to land Basin because some of the stuff that he does is really, really innovative and is really, really good. But you can't kind of treat every issue with the same model and the same, the same solution. And it's the same thing. If you look at like weck and his, his uh, rhythm in terms of running mechanics and stuff. So he's gone yeah. so far down the rhythm that he's not actually doing much <laughs> running because he's just flipping around with a rope that he's selling <laughs> on a both ball, which he's also selling on his bouncers that he's selling so like, you've got to yeah. take things from everybody, but that's not saying, as I just said, or if you look at Bosch and his isometrics, he's just doing isometrics for the hamstring. He's not yeah. trading them through yeah. length at all. So, no. but equally something that each of them is doing is really, really useful. So the whole profession is just stealing from each person, the best thing from it, but don't steal yeah. everything and take it all with a pinch of salt because everybody is doing something useful, but we're, as me and Will said last week, we're all doing things wrong as well. And I'm sure in two or three years, I'll look back at what I'm doing now and I'm like, what was I doing there? Equally, I'm looking back at when I was a young coach and I was getting all the lads in BlackRock to be doing snapdowns once a week for a five-week progression. I'm like, what the hell was that? Simpler times back then. Yeah, simpler times. <laughs> but again. yeah,
1: but all of those is, is just having, like, it, it's, it's contextual, right? And it's having mm-hmm. a why. If you yeah. break down the knees over toes guy, it's like, okay, great. He's encouraging eccentric strength in your quads and you know good dorsiflexion which yeah. <laughs> you know you would encourage most people to have that right yeah. but it's like how is he going about achieving that potentially some of his exercises are quite aggressive a lot of the people wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to do that but i'm sure if you bought one of his programs he would say oh before you do the sissy yeah. squat to the floor which you see me doing <laughs> the <there's laughs> below ten, the floor
0: ten,
1: yeah there's 10 other exercises yeah. to work to that but people mightn't see that and go i'm mm-hmm. going to get people doing a sissy squat
0: but you will not pay for the program again, either. They'll just rub
1: it off the Instagram and then throw it into exactly, the program. Exactly. It won't work for the program either. We won't get stuck into how much you know about sharing people's programs around, but um, <laughs> look, everyone's doing something for, for a reason, right? We, Franz Bosch is probably doing something because it's research-based and he's, yeah. you know, he's doing lots of work on isometric sharing a lot because his research area is isometrics. Knees over toes guy is doing it because ultimately he's a business he's doing Mm -hmm. it to earn a living so that he can put food on the table for his kids i can't remember who the other example was joe wick you said right david weck david weck sorry he like he i don't actually know who that is but i'm sure he's doing it because it's a business
0: mate have a look get on the instagram after this he is the best (laughs) person based off of what you just said i don't think oh mate he's so good i think there, there is speculation as to whether he's doing it as kind of like a persona just for social media or if he's actually like that but he is hilarious now and that's what i'm saying i love all of those guys for what they do for something that they do but not everything yeah. that they do but particularly why i just think he's so gas he's always because he he talks about Rather than talking research-based, he talks about the universe and uh, how it's cyclical and stuff like that. But it sells. He's the guy who invented the BOSU ball. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's okay, well, he actually... must be
1: semi-serious if he invented the BOSU ball. Yeah. Like, he's not like, um, he, who's the lad on Instagram that I think started off just being like the, the gym bro and then it eventually
0: became a brand, but he was it's just- Squat you. Squat universally. Or no, not him. No, sorry. No, <laughs> He's the, the, probably on your podcast and everything. He I'm thrown him in, was he? Yeah.
1: <laughs> sorry, to, uh, what's his name? Dom Dom or something. Anyway, that new yeah. American New York lad, yeah. right? And he was basically um, oh bro
0: science, was it? Bro science, bro yes, science, yes, right? Yes.
1: Which I'm pretty started as a piss take out of you know what the general bro guy was, and then he got quite large, and then it was like people like this. Now I have something. <laughs>
0: and is he selling programs and stuff
1: now i think he's selling i don't know he could be he's selling, selling something and and whatnot, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. he's he making has... money
1: let's put it that way i'm pretty sure he doesn't do it now.
0: he probably doesn't know where the persona stops and his own personality yeah. end begins now I
1: mean, yeah
0: yeah but um that's yeah look, all that's happens
1: that's social media that's yeah. social media and again that probably doesn't exist if we're not in 2021 right
0: mm. And we're doing too much name dropping now as well. We're doing the what we said. I tagged them all in it now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Stop giving business to these people. Check out at TD Performance. No. At Netflix,
0: oh, no, no, is no. As I said, there's plenty of business out there um, for everybody. Like how many people are on the globe? So we don't need to compete. Oh, yeah. You can still, you can just be good at what you do. And if you're good at what you do, then you're comfortable in what you do. And you're not trying to steal clients from other people and say, saying, oh, that's crap. But look, anyway, we'll move away from social media because you know what? It's actually, it's stressful talking about it even, let alone being on it and participating in it. But we did touch on the podcast there. So you had Squat University on and the podcast is the Metrics Physio Podcast for anybody listening to check it out. You're flying it this season. You've massive guests going. So it's called the Metrics Physio Podcast, obviously, because you would tend to use... A metrics-based kind of system in your physiotherapy kind of practice. Yep. When did that kind of click with you to start doing that? Or was it more of a gradual thing? And what are the benefits of doing that as opposed to the old school kind of physio treatment?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose we, we, if you look at what our, our tagline is, we, we kind of call it, you know, measured by success. Obviously, people are always drawn towards success and wanting to improve and whatnot. And, and then to make it a bit more interesting we just changed what is a a cs and metrics to an x so it has a bit more (laughs) pizzazz about it but it worked um, it worked it worked exactly but yeah essentially i i I like to be data driven right so for for multiple reasons you know firstly you build a lot of buy-in from from an athlete if you can show them where their weaknesses are if you're putting data in front of them right it guides what you need to do so it's highlighted a weakness therefore you can prescribe something to get better at that you know, you need to improve yeah, yeah. on this. Your, your scores weren't good. That's probably an area where I think physio has taken a lot from s is that kind of more measurement-based stuff. You know, commonly, physios probably wouldn't have looked at any metrics, really, apart from like a visual analog scale of pain or like an outcome measure that was quite subjective, right? And subjective stuff has its place, don't yeah. get me wrong. You know, we can look at return to play questionnaires for psychosocial, you know, issues. But yeah, I think metrics are, are really, really important. And it shows you probably stuff that you can concurrently train to and going right, that's a strength. So maybe we don't need to prioritize that that much. We're going to focus on the weaknesses. But yeah, essentially that's how myself and Dave, my colleague from Metrics, both kind of approach our practice. In terms of rehab, then I think you can get those in really, really early, you know, whether it's as simple as a time balance test, a single leg heel raise to fatigue, range of motion, at least by measuring something, you're showing whether it's a number, a score, a weight you're showing somebody what you can do now and then you're trying to improve it and you give them a goal and most people will stick to a goal and they'll try and get better at a goal because they don't want to come back in three weeks and go oh i didn't do my exercises there and i can't really lie about it now because he's going to test me again on this
0: yeah absolutely
1: Um, so i think that's that's really really important you know it gives it gives people um a desire to adhere to a program to want to get better and probably for loads of other reasons but you know there's loads of simple things that you can do before you get to dynamometry testing rep yeah. max testing or si all those fancy things that you can go to and i think mm. sometimes in physio we think metrics are those really fancy things and we discredit what you know a, a simple, simple isometric strength test like how long can you hold a split squat for how long can yeah. you hold a wall sit for so yeah that's pretty much where, where we got about that and, and for me the importance of, of having metrics in your practice right
0: yeah. So it's useful for both you and the client. As you said, it kind of is daunting to people when they hear metrics, because they think you're going to put, I don't know, a load of machines on a fella to, to kind of yeah. get loads of data back from them. But it is as simple as you can count out, you could literally count to 60 and see if they could hold a split quad for 60. And yeah. then the next day count to 61. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, um, And that's still a metric, but it's useful as well, I would imagine, because in the past, maybe not in the last 10 years, but before that, physios would have typically gave a timeline. And you still might give a timeline for coming back to performance and recovery from an injury. But I had a mate of mine contacted me last week and was um, getting on to me because he said, oh, the physio didn't even tell me when I'd be ready to play again. Um, and it's a groin issue. So you know yourself, like it's like, it's such a wide range. He might as well not have given him a timeline. And I was like, but that's the way to do it. You've got to do metrics-based. So you've got to graduate to the next stage of the program. And maybe if people were, because they would be reluctant now to give that timeline, if you could show somebody, right, this is the next metric that you need to hit in order to graduate to the next stage of the program. And then, and do that and so on and so forth until they get back to performance. They might be a little bit more um, willing to buy into that kind of process rather than saying, Oh, I don't know when you'll be back. If you get me. Absolutely. You're on the money there. And that,
1: that's just having like a criteria based rehab, right? Mm. If, if we take any, any abject injury, like say you take um, topical one, Alan Win jones right? Shoulder dislocation. They're talking about him rejoining the Lions tour three, four weeks is it yeah. after dislocating his shoulder. If I have a 40 year old, man who falls off his bike in Singapore here and he comes into clinic after dislocating his shoulder he ain't going to be cycling in four weeks you know Alan Wynne-Jones is a is a trained athlete who has around-the-clock care and you know is probably the gold standard for rehab if we look at all of the evidence or the research around there sadly all of that is done on elite athletes because that's where the money is well most of it sorry not all of it, but a lot of it's done on elite athletes right you'd have some stuff on on Gen Pop 2. But it's it's probably a question that physios hate get because it's very pressurized to say, oh, when, when can I when can I play again? But there's three things, and you might have seen my answers on the sheet there, but there's three ways that I approach this, right? If it's if it's tissue-based injury or a bone injury, we know that we have healing times for those. So bone injury, you're probably talking six weeks. If you're talking soft tissue, depending on the grade, you know, a grade one, you're maybe talking zero to two weeks. Grade two could be anywhere from two to six weeks. A grade three could be anywhere from four to 12 weeks, right? Even that variety in what the evidence says about healing times doesn't make anyone's life easier. So, you know, we can give rough estimates for that, but there's a lot of things that we depend on. Going back to a criteria-based rehab puts the ball in the athlete or the patient's court, and you say, well, you know, I'll let you do running if you can show me that you can do 40 single leg heel raises. And you can do three sets of 20 pogo hops on one leg. But until you do that, you're not going running again. It's not, it's not a time-based thing here because you don't have the capacity to run. So I think that's another good way to look at it. And then finally, you know, taking into account, if, if you're working with an athlete, what time of the season is, what competition phase it is, and trying to work around that and going, look, you yes, if you have an important match in four weeks' time, we can try and rush you back for that. But if it's your off-season, There's no point you may as well take three months make sure you have it right but ultimately there's there's huge variation and it's it definitely is a gray area when people ask about that but i think giving them reasons as to why you either don't give them one or directing them towards a criteria-based thing and say you know look in an acl rehab we know we're going to roughly have probably three to four phases of rehab here the first one's going to be the first month right the next four weeks all we're focusing on is get your swelling down you know get your range back fire up the quads and get your walking back to normal. Don't even worry about nine months down the line. So we take your mate with the groin, for example, his physio could just say to him, look, it's tough to say now, but what we know is you're flaring up when you run, when you change direction. So we've got to ensure that you have good capacity when you run in a straight line, that your squeeze test is of a high enough standard and your hip internal rotation is 40 degrees, right? At the moment, your hip internal rotation is 30 degrees, Your squeeze test scores are seventy five percent of what they should be, and you can only run like seventy five meters before you feel symptoms. So, you don't don't think too far ahead.
0: You know, don't think about returning to play when you can't even run straight. So do what you can as well before you can do what you can. Basically, and and (laughs) it's simple. It's simple as that. But yeah, even, if, even
1: phrasing it for people
0: going back yeah. to it. Don't tell them what they
1: can't do. Give them yeah. stuff they can do. Yeah, put a positive yeah, yeah. spin on it. You say, look, yeah. I know it's frustrating. You can't go back to training, but work with your SSC coach here, work on your low level plyometrics, work on your passing, work yeah. on, you know, whatever it is.
0: You're showing that empathy as well. It's like, I know that it's, that it's frustrating, but you're not just giving them clamshells and saying, go away and do that. And we'll see when, when you come back. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, no. um, but Yeah, it's 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 a tough one for people to kind of um, get around to. And it's interesting as well that you said there about the grade one, grade two, grade three kind of timeline as well. I had a post a good while ago. You might have seen it about hamstring injuries. And I was talking about how the people that get the recurring hamstring injuries. Now, this is probably it's more anecdotal. Henk Kreidenhoff, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He talks about worriers and warriors and their levels of arousal. And what I kind of said was the people that I see typically that keep getting recurring hamstring issues are the worriers. So the people that are constantly worrying, am I doing the right thing here? Or they get aroused. Uh, (laughs) They get aroused. (laughs) Their their arousal is quite low. So this is talking about in terms of getting up for a match, if I could explain it that way. Yes. Um, yes. So th- yes. their arousal level is quite low. If they were playing a practice match, they would still be worried about how they were going to perform, as opposed to a warrior who wouldn't care. They'd have to be under severe pressure in a game to get to that level where they're going to be performing at the op- their optimal. And it's, a, it's an analogy, like Roy Keane talked about it um, recently, just because you're a warrior doesn't mean that you're going to be a bad player. Roy Keane was a warrior for his whole career. He was worried yeah. in the training, in the dressing room. And he said it actually made him a better player because he was worried that Paul scores or Ryan Giggs or any of these was going to lose the ball every time that when they had it. So when they did lose it, he was in a position to win it back. So if he wasn't a warrior, he wouldn't have got there. But going back from that kind of little side note, I just tell those people, I'm like, Let's get the quality down, the quality of what you're doing. Let's do a perfect, well, as close to perfect as we can. But when you leave, let's just relax. And I've seen people with hamstring issues that should be back in three or four weeks. But because they're warriors, they're not back for eight to 10 weeks. And obviously, I take that personally myself in terms of my rehab or my performance-based kind of um, training and how I'm approaching it with them. And that's how I grow as a coach myself. But equally, you can only do so much for them. And you've got to teach them that when you're outside the gym, you've got to switch off. You've got to stop worrying about it because it is stress at the end of the day, and stress is stress. Would you see that a lot with clients that if they're highly stressed, they take ages to to recover? Probably seen it with me when I was in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Are you? You're probably still talking about your patella tendon, are you? No, gone now. Isometrics (laughs) got rid of it. Took it out, did you? Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah. Look, you're 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 dead right again. I think that probably is where it gets really, really challenging as a physio or a coach, right? Because when you're talking about rehab, you need to make it, uh, what's the, what's the right word here? Like game-based or task specific, right? Rather than tissue specific where you're saying, right, go for a straight line sprint here. Let's see how the hamstring feels. They're all going, okay, how does my hamstring feel when I do this (laughs) versus going get out there. I want you to be 10 seconds you know, and then they're okay, just run as fast as you can. They don't think about their hamstring. Now that's, that's probably not a, not a great example, but when people get to that point, you've got to be able to give them drills and, you know, training tools that takes their injury away from them. Yeah. Because we know that the, there's loads of psychological issues around training. I have an ACL client at the moment who's a year post-op. His hop test scores are, are still really, really poor, but he just doesn't have confidence in his single leg ability. So, I'm trying to get as creative as possible and not give him drills that he's hopping on but he almost doesn't feel like he's doing a hop or it's yeah. not him testing out his hop it's going from left to right in a forward back motion you know trying to give him a ball or something to take his mind off the actual hop and just let them perform
0: yeah. right or
1: let them do what their sport is but yeah, you, you you do see it a lot. Uh, I think it's probably probably potentially more prevalent in in your field because we might yeah. pass off people that. But I think that psychological readiness before you go back to sport is is huge, and there's like you said, loads of different factors that that go into that. But I think it's I think it's coachable. I think it's trainable. Yeah. We can we can change the narrative on that, and we can shift the focus on on what that is. But it's not an easy thing to do for sure. You think do you know? Um, James Tavernier, uh, Ta- yeah. uh, Taverner. He's, uh, we used to work with Everton. I think he is in, he was involved in some level of, of football in the Prem and then he moved over to the States. He's with he's with a basketball team now, I can't think it's the Nets or the Philly uh, 76ers, but he basically had this thing called the control chaos continuum and going back to sport, right? And putting people into controlled chaos-based drills where, you know, you're testing them physically in a capacity where they're not aware that they're being tested physically, right? And they're just playing that sport, so... You know making sure that athletes go through that stage of their rehab i think is is really really important
0: that comes down to your queuing as well and what you're queuing them on rather than focusing on the focusing on the negative and as you said using negative use of language rather than being positive about it like if i was getting somebody to do like if they're coming back from a hamstring issue i know we're talking a lot about hamstrings but they've been cropping up again and again as you can imagine with gaa coming back and the yeah. lads being run into the ground if they were doing um a hamstring or if they were doing a straight leg scissors bound I might say we might be looking at speed of movement I might say I want your ground contact time on this rep to be really really low so just touch the floor and gone again and they're like right yeah so then they're moving way faster and they're putting the ha- they're putting more stress on the hamstring but they don't know that they are because they're not even focused on that um yeah. so that's that's a simple kind of way around that and then the other thing is as well in terms of talking about the warriors and the warriors but and it's definitely an s problem as well. I've heard James Smith, not James Smith from social media, James Smith, the strength and conditioning coach, who's a great thinker. He talks about... Don't be matching men- James Smith. PT. No, no, he's, he's all right. <laughs> he's not going to hear this anyway. But in terms of um, mental resilience or mental toughness, which we're always searching for, is yeah. like, oh, go out and do it. There's no such thing. It's just gradual exposure. And the more the graded exposure then reduces your anxiety around the task that you're trying to complete. So with a worrier kind of client, we might have to do a slower graded exposure till they get back to the level of psychological readiness where they're like, I'm actually, I am actually fine. I can do this. Um, yeah, but that's exactly. fine. Just take your time with it. And progress it day by day and they will get back there. But don't just skip a whole as we talked about earlier, don't just skip a whole stage of the process and go, oh, you're fine to go playing now. Well, I don't feel like I'm fine. Okay, well then you're not. Yeah. It, Look, we it, both show, have show. to have confidence in you. Me, yeah. you, the the athlete and the sports coach. It's just unfortunate that the sports coach will be the first one to have confidence never that they're am. ready to go. You're fine. Go on. How yeah. with you? Yeah, yeah.
1: Sure. Show me a skier who's just you know showed up skiing and gone down a black slope on day one. Like, yeah. not a chance. You're going to do the greens for ages. Then move on to the blues or whatever the whatever the colors are. Or your first day of work. Tell me someone who's never gone to their first day of work and been really really nervous about it. Then you do it for a hundred days in a row and you're like, eh, this is easy, right? Yeah. Same, same thing with sport. I'm sure if you asked Roy Keane, he said he was a worrier his whole life. I'm sure he maybe was, but I'm sure that worry maybe shifted to other things because the more he played with Giggsy, he thought, actually, he's not going to give the ball away. Yeah, he Giggsy doesn't do that. No. Then he goes to the other side and
0: he has like... None of them really did. That's why they were so good. Yeah. yeah. But at least he was prepared for them to do it. So he was... Failed to prepare. So, prepared to yeah. fail, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, um, we've gone down the rabbit hole in terms of performance and uh, rehab and i kind of knew that was going to happen but talk to me about the vision for the podcast where is the podcast going in the future do you think and what is the why behind it
1: ah oh, well so i suppose the why before was myself and dave thought that during lockdown we might get the wheels in motion with regards to a, a platform for ourselves to have when we eventually return to ireland whether that was in some sort of practice some sort of social media or some sort of podcast We've obviously put all the rest on the back burner and run with the podcast because it's kind of been, I don't think, generally quite successful. But look, speaking about the podcast specifically, we're we're really trying to educate people, whether that's athletes, clinicians, whether you know, physios, SNC coaches, you know, hope that anyone listens to it is going to take something from it that they go, right, I can do that with one of my athletes, you know, I can do that with one of my patients. Me as an athlete, I can try this or that, or I have a better knowledge about physio and training now. So you know that's where we really want to take it. I think we want to bring diversity to our podcast too. So we want to showcase people who maybe don't always get attention, whether that's because their sport is not a very watched sport, whether that's the area they practice in is not a very, not a very topical area. You know, we want to get more women onto the show as well and and show that you know they have a huge amount to offer. So you we've loads of plans, but as you know from having a podcast, it doesn't just happen like that. So we're, we're, we're taking our we're taking our time with it. We kind of had some plans for that kind of past 10 episodes. We've got one more to, re- to record to wrap up season two and then we're going to take a few months off and and rattle into into season three. But I think probably from this season, you can probably see we've gone maybe a little bit more narrower down the physio route. Now, we, we might open that back up, yeah. but, but that's just what we thought with season two was that we wanted to get some good quality physios on. And the best thing, about it for me and Dave has been we've got to connect with the best in our business really you know and, and meet people and learn from them and there's still a few that we stay in touch with and you can comment with them on social media or you know you get invites go down to a clinic go down to a training session if you're ever here or there and you know that's that's awesome so just to you know meet
0: people learn from different backgrounds environments all that kind of stuff is is great yeah. It comes back to the Mike Tyson, doesn't it? Everybody has a plan till they're punched in the face, and you can plan all you yeah. all you want, but you just you learn as you go that you've got to keep that plan pretty rough um, because it's going to change. And that's kind of and that's kind of something that we could use in terms of our practice as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, um, yeah, you got to be adaptable. Yeah, exactly. But you found your niche as well, I suppose, and that's why you've gone down the physio kind of route because obviously people were enjoying those ones a lot not that they weren't enjoying the other ones too but you're obviously enjoying them a lot as well yourself and that's why you're doing it yeah that's probably
1: probably a a little bit of a selfish element there as well for most physios is, is you know getting a lot out of it ourselves but like i think podcasts are unbelievable really from what they offer to so many different people so we definitely want to stay involved in that but you know there's been so many times where you have an interview scheduled with someone and they say look something's come up or you know i can't jump on this and if you're going right well i need i need a podcast to come out on tuesday of next week who am i going to get in and you're there flat out email and texting right who we who can yeah. we get to to fill this slot and and again you, you probably don't want to pick someone you know a blow-in hopefully i'm not a blow-in to the pd performance no. podcast show No, you're but, on the uh, list don't worry but uh <laughs> you're on the list but but you know there's always going to be things that that step in the way of people or even yourself. Right. So having, we, we have a rough idea of who we want to get on, but you know, there's, there's not a finite list.
0: Yeah. 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 That is it as well. It's But you know, I know you said it was a selfish element of it that you wanted to gain something from the conversation, but I try and treat it as if, if I'm gaining from the conversation and the guest is gaining from the conversation, then somebody else is going to gain from it. Whereas if you yeah. just come on and you're just like, I don't know, like an interview style. What's your favorite color? Do you know? Now we are going to get in quickfire questions eventually, but I think they give more of an insight into Greg as the person. That's why we do them. But do you know what I mean? In terms of the answers you get are pretty robotic and the questions are pretty robotic. So there's nothing that they gain from that that they couldn't have gained from A blog post or a a written sheet or anything like that you know so you want to have interesting conversations because people like interesting conversations and definitely and the reason that you do it has to be for some sort of enjoyment in the conversation and to gain something from the conversation yourself is what i'd say
1: Uh, we've been so surprised by how responsive people have been to coming on the podcast when you asked them i was like you're going to throw out emails to these people they're never going to get back to you. you know they're pumping out research they've a million followers they've got way better things to do than come and speak to me and Dave for an hour but genuinely I think if people are passionate about something and you give them a platform to talk about it they want to do it because they enjoy it they want to share their passion with somebody else and you know again probably looking at more physio specific they want to help people get better in some capacity so for them sharing that has been really good. But response and we're lucky that you know not many people probably only two or three have said look no sorry i'm not going to have time for this or it's not my thing but you know it's amazing that a lot of people just give up their time for free and say yeah let's do it yeah it's
0: gas isn't it because people are always like to you when you release a big one or it's like how did you get him or how did you get her on and you just respond with oh we just uh asked them (laughs) what do you mean you just asked yeah i just asked them people are actually generally very nice and if you want to give up your time because you're interested in somebody then they're happy generally they're happy to to speak to you about the thing that they're passionate about as you said sometimes as well it's good to touch on the things that kind of get overlooked as well and that they don't get to talk about very often and that kind of brings that passion out a little bit more which is what you messaged me about the last couple of, or yesterday, was it? You said, um, can we get into rugby and just have rugby dollars chat? And I was like, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. <laughs> I had actually planned as well. So we'll get into the rugby chat now because we're on we're just on the hour anyway. So you said NRL as well. And it was interesting that you said NRL because I think the the stuff that's on online about NRL and injuries is really interesting. I love looking at that stuff. And in terms of you saying that. Injuries and injury rates have actually gone up. And then there's the argument that now in the NRL, they're looking to increase the number of substitutions, and the fans don't want it because they're saying, on one side, they're saying if we increase the amount of subs, then those players come on fresher, and then there's going to be more capacity for injury. But I don't think they quite grasp the injury fatigue kind of continuum or how that kind of interacts with each other. But they're right to an extent that a fresh player coming up against a fatigue player, the fatigue player is going to be more susceptible to injury, but we're trying to reduce the amount of fatigue players on the field yeah. by bringing on people. So that is the theory, I would say. But how you've been following the NRL? Yeah, love, love watching the NRL. Probably a little bit here because it fits the time zone. So it's a lot harder to
1: watch. Like the Euros, I've watched nothing. Even a lot of the rugby that was on towards the 10 end of the year, the Highland income final and stuff like a, like a, a 1 a.m., kickoff here is, is no joy to anyone really even if i stayed up that late if i have a few beers i'm definitely not awake at, <laughs> awake at <laughs> that way you time. were gonna say that you might be there in body but not tired. like re-watching but... it again the next day yeah but i love the nrl i think i think rugby could learn a huge amount from the nrl in, in the way they operate their sport and if we look at injuries specifically you've got this guy nrl physio right that's probably the guy you're talking yeah, about Yeah, i love him he probably he must have inside jobs on all these people that are throwing him you know, information within minutes of the injury happening. In Ireland, though, now, if a player has a calf strain, you know, the media can't go near it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's full disclosure. Don't talk about it. You lose that personal element to the game. With NRL, they get all the lads on the TV interviews. They're all on social media. They're all having the crack. Now, granted, they do some ridiculous stuff, like you saw the Dragons players, you know, all breaking COVID rules and going on the piss together. And... I think that's a really bad culture that the NRL has, but as a fan-based sport, you have access to players, you have access to coaches. When the game is on, there's no stoppages. They've pretty much eliminated all stoppages, so you can watch a game the whole way through. The skill level is through the roof. Their fitness levels are outrageous. They've been cracking down on the high tackles, which you know yeah. has reduced some of the big hits, and they have to do that. But, yeah, I, I love it. I love watching it. Um, I, I prefer watching it to Rugby Union, I have to say, at the moment, because I think it's just an easier watch. And probably for somebody new to a game, rugby has so much nuances to it now. And NRL is just a little bit more straightforward. You can just whack it on, have a few beers, don't have to explain too much, rather than somebody beside you, especially in Singapore here, going, you know, what happened at the Rook there? And you're going, not too sure. Evidently,
0: the ref doesn't actually know either. Yeah, I think we were going to say that <laughs> Nobody knows what happened there He just wanted to blow it up But yeah And there is this thing In Rugby Union as well It's like oh, Rugby League I'm not watching that But then If you actually just Have you watched it Is what I say Have you watched have it Have watched it yeah. But there's a difference Between NRL and I know Super super League thing. I don't watch super that league. Super yeah. League But, but, but it, Rugby
1: Union is, is is shifting towards Rugby League You've now yeah. had them Trialling the dead ball dropouts Right yeah. What was the other one? Goal line kickouts. Goal line,
0: kick outs. Go line
1: dropouts, but they also add uh, the 40-20. The, yeah. like, if you kick it, you get the ball back.
0: But they're yeah. doing a 50-20, no. be- which I think is ridiculous. They're only doing a 50-20 because they don't want to say that they're copying the NRL with the 40-20. Just sure, do 40-20, it makes have, more sense.
1: Just do 40-20. But how long have rugby backs coaches, you being one,
0: taken inspiration from the NRL? Oh, right? A long time. I love watching it. All the moves You'll are never out have the back, nerd. aren't they? They're all out yeah. the back, like, and that's everything. If you watch rugby union match over the last year, every move is like that too. You have someone on the hit line, somebody out the back, and it's so simple to coach, and it's so simple to execute well, and it works, and that's why they do it. And it's so hard to defend. Oh yeah, so hard to defend because you're you're yeah. just it's indecision. It's impossible to cover two people at once. You can't. Exactly. You've got to make you a can. decision. And, and if the
1: defense defend properly, there's going to be space on the outside for you to exploit. Yeah
0: but um, I think you're right in terms of the branding of it and all is they left all the players be themselves as well. They, they And they're starting to get a little bit more like that in rugby union, but definitely like I couldn't believe with the dragons thing as well. Well, I did believe it because it's NRL, but they literally disclosed everything that happened as well. Yeah. Whereas if it was in rugby union and something like that happened, it would have been just kind of, Oh, this happened. We're not going to address it. We're just going to, Oh, that was wrong. And but the, the, the guy that organized these the, are
1: hiding he, under the bed, like he
0: came out and he just said, Oh, yeah, lads came over at this time. There was this many people here. We're having a few beers. We shouldn't have done it. Sorry, blah blah blah. That's the end of it. Yeah. Like it's just open, open dialogue about it. And they know that they did wrong as well, but definitely there's things that they could learn there in terms of rug- yeah. what rugby union can learn. And then, as well as that, the only thing that irks me at the moment, they need to sort out. The situation in terms of the one-sidedness of the games when there is a red card because it's even more serious than in a rugby union game I don't know why it's more serious I think it's because they don't know how to drift in the feds because they're just taught to come in jam in so when they're a man down and they jam in then they are two men down because they're leaving the winger and they're leaving who's passing them the ball and then it ends up being 60 something to four or whatever like you know and that's something that they need to address but they will address it as well and it's out of necessity it's out of necessity that they're stopping these high shots and all the fans are hating it and the the players are hating it it. as well it's so funny that they just call them out and the refs the refs talk to them by their first name all the time i know i love that i love that
1: the, I think it's, you listen to Den and Kemp and Bloke in a Bar, like, mm. you know, they talk about the momentum and the six again has given teams momentum where yeah. once you get on a roll, it's impossible to stop. So they're talking about now is potentially if you score, is you kicking off rather yeah. than getting the ball back as a potential um, way to combat that. So who yeah, knows? But that. they were also looking at, I think... Another thing Rugby Union could get better at, NRL is very metric-based, right? You talk about Mm. post-contact meters, try score try assist kick meters, all this stuff. Put that data on the TV. People get excited about it, you know, rather than just, you know, Byrne was second to a Rook
0: 17 times.
1: I don't give a shit.
0: Yeah, I know, yeah. He's top of the the list for everything in relation to Rooks. We know, we know, like...
1: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) no one wants to see a Rook anymore these days, but... Um, they talk about that winning that first collision and having conceded the less post-contact meters is the more successful teams at the top. So the new rules have made a difference, but there is some teething room. They'll figure out that, right, in order for us to not have a blowout, we can't give teams momentum, You need to win that first collision, slow the play the ball, whatever it might
0: be. But They definitely could learn some things from Rugby Union though as well, couldn't they, in terms of like... Yeah. I know we're really geeking out and nerd now here over NRL and we think it's great, but in terms of some of the organizational things, like the new rules they brought them in, in like round five and just said here's the new rules, <laughs> yeah. deal with it. Yeah. Whereas rugby union do that a little bit better in that they'll trial it in a different um, competition a couple of times before they're like, okay, but that's the
1: entertainment package. Yeah, that's true. the entertainment value to it. It's no, you, it's it's not fun for us in preseason, right? It's fun for the NRL to poke the bear mid-season and see can they adapt but i mean like if you look at the lions tour it's disappointing because there's just no buzz about it the game's there for the lions are blowouts. you know covid's a nightmare down there granted granted the game no i was gonna say granted (laughs) tomorrow they've got a you know they've got a whopper team out but i think that's out of necessity because they're like Right, just keep it to the same players. Just make yeah. them play four times in a row now, and don't let any of them break their bubble. And we'll minimise COVID. Get them all to Cape Town, play the same 30 players over the space of four games. No, it'll probably be it'll probably be a good a good test series. Hopefully, it is anyway, because I'm looking forward to watching it. But as a tour, the spectacle has not really gone okay. gone to plan, and and you feel sorry for the players, like being stuck yeah. in a hotel and you know not having a Lions tour of what
0: a Lions tour. They're not touring, really. They're not touring, really. Like they're in a different country, they're but they're touring. just in a hotel. But yeah, like I actually think I know that that is part of it. Them picking that strong, the Springboks picking that strong side tomorrow. But I think it's they just haven't played. They've only played Georgia. That's yeah, it. Yeah, they've so like, played Georgia. So they've got to play more games. So I'd say they were just like I know it said Africa A. The Lions are obviously in- incredibly confident, even though they're playing against teams that just can't compete. So I think there's multiple factors there as well as the South Africans just wanting to absolutely get into the Lions and show them that it's not going to be an easy tour. But I am looking forward to that, but definitely, and I know everybody talks about it, but the crowds not being there is a massive factor because if the crowds were there in Durban like the last two games I know they played the Sharks twice but if they were there the Sharks would have played above themselves because the the whole crowd would have been getting into them like basically and into the Lions and it would have been a more hostile environment but I, I still enjoy watching the games but I know that I'm not enjoying it as much as the usual Lions sort where you look forward to it for the whole week basically for the next game you for a have you have you been able to catch them then the games
1: yeah they're not at bad times here they're well again they're late enough but i think there was one at 10 o'clock the the midweek ones are are not great because it's later on right but if you get the early one that's about four or five o'clock in ireland you can get them at 10 or 11 or whatever here which is which is fine so hopefully the hopefully the test ones are are at that time Um, series
0: prediction then before we move on Serious
1: prediction, I think it'll probably be 2-1 to the Lions. I think the Springboks will maybe nick one, but I think the Lions will have too much. They look too good, really. They're they're clicking very fast.
0: I'm worried about one thing, though, out wide, what? and the way that they're defending, because yeah, I, it depends who they pick. Obviously, they're, like I said on the podcast last week, I said I think it will be Adams, Williams, and Hogg. But now with Louis ries playing so well, they could pick him as well. Or I don't think they're going to pick Van der Merwe. I just... Like, he's scoring tries for fun, but I don't think yeah. Gatland is that type of coach that he wants to outscore the opposition. I think he wants to uh, concede less than them, if you get me. And I think Van der Merwe is just a little bit shaky, whereas Adams is such a good defender. Liam Williams is phenomenal, and Gatland loves him as well. And I think Hogg yeah. went well in the last couple of games, so he can't leave him off. And because... Like Hogg can't, he's not going to put Hogg on the wing, but I think he'll put Williams on the wing, no problem. So I would be worried in terms of the, the, if Henshaw's at 13, I won't be as worried because he's such a good defender, but that kind of channel, the outside channel is where I'm most worried about how the Lions are going to manage the spring box, especially if Colby and LaRue are on the field. You'll get a good idea tomorrow night, probably with with the
1: set after having a pretty much a full strength back three. But interestingly, I think Hogg's the one most at risk because he didn't he got dropped for the semi final, the final, and the Premiership. So yeah. I don't know what you know. I haven't seen much of him before that, but I I would question his form maybe. But Josh Adams is a lock in. Like he scored what yeah. eight tries in in three <laughs> games. He's going to be there. I think I think Liam Williams is a lock in for either wing or fullback. Anthony Watson has been there and done yeah. it before. And if Louis Ries-Samment keeps scoring, you know, you might say, geez, it's really hard to leave to yeah, leave him off, out there. Yeah. They, maybe you look at the bench spots as well and you go, Van der Merva, probably not going to be on the bench because he's only a winger. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have a, a Hogg or a Williams or a Watson, you kind of probably yeah. get, you know, multiple positions out of them. Hog even has 10 cover.
0: Yeah. Who knows as well? I'd with say a, Watson. With a big move for altitude, but- the other thing is daily though. Because Daly is covering so many positions and if he goes with a 6-2 split like he did, now I wouldn't personally say it, but he's covering, if he has Farrell on at 12 and Henshaw 13, then he's covering 10 with the 12 that's on the field and he has Daly as cover for centre wing and fullback in one position on the bench. So yeah. To be honest, he's probably just going to pick all Welsh players (laughs) anyway. (laughs) But um, I would agree with you definitely on all that. that. I think Watson would be a useful sub to have. And then the thing with Hogg as well was he wasn't actually playing badly. It was the fact that the Exeter fans were getting into the Chiefs because they'd lost a couple of games and they wanted Noel to get a run because he hadn't played in a long time. And I think Jack Noel is just class. But when Hogg came on in the final, he actually was pretty good as well. So and I think he was playing above himself because he was pissed off as well because he'd been dropped. But um I I I thought I had the same concerns as yourself. But he's gone all right and in the game that he played midweek was it or the weekend at fullback He was good in the air, which was the priority as well because I think that's what Williams had over him. Um and that's why they pick him because they're in South Africa, they're gonna launch it. But anyway (laughs) safe
1: as houses really isn't he?
0: Yeah they're all that's what I always say as well like they're all world-class players so we're splitting hairs really like they will have a good side out we all have our preferences but it doesn't really matter a fuck what our preferences are because Gatland is just gonna pick who he wants anyway but anyway yeah. you're probably up early in the morning so I'm gonna move on to quick fire questions now before we finish so your proudest achievement to date and I'm laughing at it because you've written it in. <laughs> I don't have any no um yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I could say back and say, you know, playing
1: in the, the Leinster Schools Cup or something like that, but it's not an achievement. Probably winning the Singapore Premier League uh, or Singapore Premier League, Singapore National Championship made it all the better that we beat you in the final. Couldn't actually find a box jersey to put on for this interview. But um, yeah, yeah maybe that's professionally not much yet either. Look, I've had some good rehabs, but my goal is still to probably try and work in an elite sports. So I'm going to say that hopefully will be my proudest achievement or go into a major tournament or something like that. Yeah, proudest achievement today. I don't really, I'm not giving you much of a great uh, great answer there.
0: No, I come back your, to me. Your first answer, I hate it. Um, but yeah, no, it was, yeah. I, was, I wasn't playing actually just for the listeners. I was coaching and Greg was at fullback and we were also working together every day. So there was a lot of banter flying about. But I, I don't mind the books jersey. I get on well with all the books, the books lads, as you know yourself. Um, so to lose it to the books on the day, I think even though it's a long time in the past now, I think the books deserve, <laughs> I think the books deserve to win it on the day because they beat us rather than us losing it. If you get me you know what I mean? And you'll know because you played in the game as well. Um, so yeah, yeah. it was the two best teams in the final and someone has to lose as well. And the lads that I was coaching, I couldn't knock them one bit because I say they should be proud of the performance that they gave. They just weren't good enough to win it on the day. But in terms of professionally, you'll definitely get there from my perspective because I know how good you are as a, as a physio. And then on the elite sport thing, you're a brave man as well because it's so intense going into elite sport but if that's the dream that's the dream and I've no doubts that you'll get there. So we'll move on then to who was your favourite athlete of all time?
1: It, it probably was from an early
0: age it was Steven Gerrard
1: always a massive Liverpool fan just loved watching him kill lads and tackles score goals from 40 yards out went to Anfield when I was probably about 12 and my dad managed to get a pair of his shorts off some geezer over in Liverpool so was always a big Steven Gerrard fan then in rugby, I still remember sitting on the couch at 8 o'clock in the morning watching Dan Carter in the second test in 2005. That was probably just when I started playing rugby when I was, what, probably 11 or 12 at that stage and going, you know, this guy's pretty special. So to pretty much grow up through his, his whole career, always loved watching Dan Carter. And then Drico too. I mean, who doesn't love Drico? Obviously iconic in terms of Irish sport. Even now, he's hilarious on social media and doing all his media stuff. So, yeah. Pretty solid list, I think, there of, of Stevie G, DC and BOD.
0: Absolutely. And they're all doing still doing great things, as you said, as well. I love O'Driscoll as a, an analyst as well because he's one of the few analysts that is brave enough to say when he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. So, like, I remember before it could have been off the ball he was on and they asked him about one of the tries or what whatever. And he said you know what, I'm so long out of the game now that I'm actually not sure if this was all going to plan, like a set-piece move because it was multiple phases or if it was played off the cuff. And you know yourself in terms of analysts, like, like sometimes if they don't know the answer, they just make one up. Whereas yeah, yeah. I suppose it is of benefit to him given that he's Dricko, so nobody's going to care if he doesn't no. Um, But I just love that because you don't have a clue. Like if people ask me, as a coach, like something about the line-out or ruck area, I, I can give a best guess answer, but it's not good. I'm going to say go over there to Chris Hodges or whatever, or whoever if it's something to do with that because he's going to be, he's going to have more knowledge around that than me. And that's fine. Yeah. As we said, generalists who specialize. Same thing. If somebody asked me about injury, exactly. go to I was Greg Hall. Say it. Yeah, was go to Greg say it. He knows what he's talking about. Right. <laughs> Favorite rugby moment of all time. A bittersweet moment, but
1: was lucky to go to the Rugby World Cup 2019 um, with my old man and we went to the Ireland-New Zealand game. So the build-up to that was like nothing I've ever experienced and definitely the atmosphere in the stadium. Irish people travel well. You know, the fan zone, the beer gardens was just crazy for four hours before kickoff and then to get in and hear the anthems and then hear Ireland drown out the haka. It was an unbelievable four minutes, I think it was, until New Zealand scored. So it, it went very downhill fast, but yeah, that I still remember that moment. Where I can still hear the, the uh, fields of Athenry ringing out over yeah. the, over the hack. That was pretty cool.
0: That was incredible. It's a shame. It was so short lived though. And then they absolutely yeah. battered us as well. That atmosphere, like it's, there's only a few moments in your life that you get to experience something like that. And my anecdotal moment to something like that was Ireland versus France in the Euros in 2016. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went, we, we the the contrast is we went up after two minutes. Robbie Brady scored a penalty. Yeah. I turned to my friend Mick at half time. We were only over for this game, the quarter final, obviously, because we didn't take going anywhere. Yeah. And I turned to Mick, I said, Mick, like, what happens if we win this? And he just turned straight to me without Baton Island and said, Oh, we can't go home. We're not going home. like i think we've worked to go to but that kind of i think it's and i know it's a cliche but irish fans are incredible fans as well in terms of generating that kind of buzz and it is something cultural as well it probably because there's so many of us there it's just a glorified pub which we make it (laughs) be as loud as possible
1: we love to believe, though. I remember with my dad there going, you know, what if we beat the All Blacks? You know, do we push the flights back? You know, how will we get tickets?
0: <laughs>
1: exactly. Shouldn't have bothered.
0: Ah, sure, look. Who's going to play you in the movie? This is a good question.
1: Um, I went with Matthew McConaughey and probably the thing that swayed it was, I don't know if you've read his book, but his yeah. book is really, really good. Um, and I take a lot from that and I even analogize that buck in some of my rehab with his green light system in terms of can you can you continue should you be a little bit cautious about your approach to this or should you not do it um but i think he's pretty interesting character plays a lot of pretty cool roles obviously is is pretty Just decent looking, looking <laughs> pretty decent looking has some blonde hair as well um, and yeah. yeah
0: we'll run with, we'll run with mcconaughey the i got i got the audiobook of green lights and yeah. he, he reads, he reads it. it yeah yeah what's your favorite film of his then dallas Buyers club yeah i like pretty- i
1: just i like the way he he's very honest like you were saying about driscoll being honest about it he was saying i had a niche and it was rom-coms but yeah. you know i always wanted to make a serious film and i had this idea for this film and i was going to go and make it And then that's the one he went and got an Oscar for. So again, it shows like persistence, perseverance. So there's a lot to be said for that. But also, uh, I don't know if you listen to, um, I'm forgetting his name, Scott Galloway. His podcast is called Prof G. I kind of wrote this down for my answer But what would you tell your 18-year-old self. But we'll skip to the the point is he said, don't listen to people who tell you to follow your passion. Because your passion doesn't necessarily get you anywhere. It's follow something you're good at. And be good at it and that will allow you to be successful yes and that's probably what mcconaughey did he went and did something he was very very good at now he has a name for himself had enough money to do him a lifetime and then said right now i can probably go and afford to do what i'm what i want passionate to about
0: yeah exactly What i want to do, yeah exactly i'm laughing at <laughs> your answer for the meal that you're loving at the moment or the food because obviously you're trying to cram as much of the singaporean food in as you can before you have to come home exactly
1: on the money yeah just trying to eat as many as uh, many of our good hawkers you know dim sum um, myself and mary have a list of, of stuff that we're trying to tick off so we're not doing much cooking really just getting out and exploring and eating lots of the local food yeah you know the local food here is class right it's one probably one of the things you'll miss the most is the the cheap accessible food that you just don't get anywhere else really
0: no absolutely something that you miss for sure when you come home so get it in while you're there uh what artists have you been listening to a lot recently
1: so i started teaching myself guitar um over the first lockdown i don't know i don't know if you've ever heard of this guy called marty schwartz on youtube right yes yes I've you been. know him marty marty music you've probably seen this meme right where it says oh you play guitar yeah yeah i taught myself what they really mean is, "Hi, I'm Marty
0: Short." Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> because
1: all you do is go online and learn from him. But um,
0: how many does yeah, he have up? Like every song, every every bloody
1: song. But yeah. yeah, I'm a huge Oasis fan, so I'm always constantly listening to Oasis. But I've gotten really into this kind of like Aussie music scene, listening to Sticky Fingers, Tash Sultana. I don't know if you know who they are, but just I know that who kind Sticky of fingers there.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah, I don't even know what you. I don't even know how you would genreize that music, yeah. like alternative acoustic kind of just easily listening stuff but sticky fingers have a really interesting backstory that we won't get into but go and look up what sticky fingers are doing at the moment in australia
0: there you go that's one for everybody out there that's listening that's still listening (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) books you've been reading at the moment i've read one that i have just finished was breath
1: by james nestor breathe by james nestor really really good um got myself an apple watch lately so i've been trying to stay on top of my breathing but again if we look at healthcare, this book shows that there's probably a cure to a lot of different things that don't involve time and money and referrals to everywhere so Brett's a really good book worth checking out and then i'm reading one at the moment called powers of geography um which is a follow-up a sequel to prisoners of geography don't know if you heard of that one it was out in 2015 basically the original was about how geographical layouts dictate who are world superpowers and world leaders and how countries are trying to navigate this. So for example, Russia being very scared of invasion from Eastern Europe due to the flat plains, but they also need access to warm water ports in the Mediterranean because it's too cold around the top, things like that. But then powers of geography is basically looking at that in in terms of the future. So who is going to be world leaders, why they're going to be and what the barriers might be kind of a random one but I kind of just like the that first sounds, one so I kind yeah, of got, got into the, the geopolitical side of of stuff there but I think it's no harm to having the knowledge of this so add it add it to your good reads and uh, definitely
0: maybe give it a read I'm, I'm gonna write that one down for sure Or the two of them and then the last question you've already kind of answered but what you would tell your 18 year old self yeah well what I think I wrote down to plan and to
1: invest and I think probably I say this to my brothers now, but, you know, I think when, when you were going back through college, again, people said, oh, follow what what you're passionate about, what you'd like to do. But I don't think that's necessarily the right route to do. I think there should be a lot more planning into, right, if I want to live this kind of lifestyle, what do I need to do to get there? So maybe having an endpoint and planning to get to that end point, or even from a professional sense, this is what I think I want to do. How do I get to that? Rather than just saying, oh, I'll take a punt on this course.
0: Very much Still, the Irish way. <laughs>
1: very much the irish way but yeah that's what i that's what i always say to my brother and i always tell him to stick a little bit of stick a little bit of money away somehow or you know you can even have vaults on Revolut or something like that i wish i'd did that earlier but it makes a difference to me now so you know Absolutely. if you can afford to put a fiver away a week or whatever it is a little bit of saving rather than bulk saving for a holiday and then just blowing it all on six weeks and being like boom like when i was 24 and literally had five euro to my name you're going
0: what, what are you doing? yeah exactly but look there is capacity for both as well like you've got to know how to enjoy yourself at the same time but it's good that he has you there to give him the advice around that and i'm sure he listens to that advice does he he does man? he, he has bitcoin Ah, oh, there you go he's
1: smarter than you Although <laughs> some people might say you shouldn't have that either but yeah, yeah look i know i am not. i know you need to you definitely need to have the crack and get out there and and live as well but i think yeah there's definitely, there's definitely a balance. And I know people who've lived far too much in one way yeah. and are now, you know, going, you know, I've, I've bounced between three college courses, didn't really know what I was doing. You're still working uh, part-time, yeah. part-time gigs here or there, trying to pick up whatever you can get. So the earlier, maybe you can tick off, tick off those boxes and know what you're going to do, the better.
0: And it's good to practice the saving as well, though, because you're going to need yeah. to save when you start into your professional development too. So the earlier you can get started the better but look i've held you long enough that was a great conversation really really enjoyed it and uh, best luck with all the metrics physio when you get back in town give me a shout are you Thanks up in dublin longer. are you up in dublin there i'm in dublin now. Yeah. oh sweet yeah 100 we'll get on to you and we'll leave it there for today <laughs>